Hello and welcome to Running on Joy with Francesca Goodwin, the podcast that celebrates putting one foot in front of the other in whatever form that takes. This is a podcast that explores how we can live in a more connected, creative and compassionate manner for the benefit of our communities, our planet and our own mental and physical health. I'm your host, Francesca Goodwin, and every week I'll be asking a new interviewee what joy means to them. Running on Joy is ad-free, but if you enjoy the show, please do take a moment to leave a review and give feedback wherever you listen to your podcasts. You might also consider supporting the work of Running on Joy guest Dan Lawson through rubbish shoes and rerun clothing to end the cycle of wastage in the sports clothing and footwear industries. Follow at Rubbish Shoes and at Rerun.Clothing on Instagram for further information. Hello everyone, my guest today is a Toronto-based, New York-born author, freelance writer and copywriter. They're also a mother, strongman competitor, endurance athlete, rock climber and crossfitter. Their first book, Secrets of Giants, A Journey to Uncovering the True Meaning of Strength, is a deep dive into the science and psychology of why pushing our physical limits is so impactful. Released in September of this year, it is a powerful book which interweaves memoir, research and adventure into an odyssey that uncovers why physical strength is about so much more than what you can put on a barbell, but rather teaches us that we're capable of so much more than we know. It's my delight to now invite them to introduce themselves in the manner of their choosing and to welcome them to Running on Joy. Hello. Hello, it's so nice to be here. I'm Alyssa Aegis. Um, That was a wonderful introduction. I don't have a ton more to add to that. I think you kind of nailed it. <laughs> but um, Alyssa, and I thought I'd I'd kick off with kind of the big the big question of um, what does strength mean to you? Yeah, I think for um, a really long time, I saw strength as this kind of you know, just showing literally how strong you could be physically, you know, like how much weight can you put on a barbell? What thing can I lift next? What contest can I enter? Um, and over time I started to learn that you take these lessons that you learn from training for strength, from being in the gym and what strength really is, is how you apply those things outside of the gym. So what does it teach you about failure? What does it teach you about resilience? Um, what does it teach you about handling adversity? So to me, it's kind of, it's, it's all of those things combined. It's not just the physicality. It is the emotional and the mental aspect of it as well. Which actually makes complete sense, really, doesn't it? Because if you think about kind of going going to a gym or or going for a run or whatever your your um, movement modality is, I mean, it's something that I touch on a lot with people. None of it really matters. <laughs> you are doing this thing, and if there isn't something kind of bigger about it than just the amount that you're lifting, I mean, there there isn't really a point, is there? Yeah, yeah, that's it exactly. If you're not if you're just focused on what numbers did I hit today, um, you know, not only are you going to get, not going to get any of those benefits um, of 
strength training outside of the gym. Um, but you're also never really going to enjoy the process. Right. And then you're just kind of going into a gym for an hour or whatever, however many days you go in and just kind of, I don't know, suffering through it and maybe being bummed out if you don't get the numbers that you want, because that's all that mattered to you. Mm, And it's interesting there that you talk about process um, alongside failure as well, because that sounds very different to kind of using those numbers to effectively just beat yourself up all the time if you either achieve or don't achieve it. Whilst what I hear that you're talking about is is failure being something that is more a continuum, so not just like a pass fail, <laughs> um, but also something that is motivational in itself and part of, um, for want of a better word, a journey, really. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. It's you know, it's not just what did I go in, what did I, what did I do today, but you know, what are you if you're striving for something, if you do have a goal set, well, what happens along the way to that goal? Um, how do you feel about your failures? How do you feel about your mistakes in the gym? How do you feel about, you know, the things that go wrong when you wanted them to go right? And how do you respond to that? And having just honed in there on, you know, on the on the strengths more as a, as a metaphor, really, that's just wind back a little bit and kind of look at where did your relationship with, with movement and strength start? Yeah. So I was um, not an athletic kid. Uh, I have this very strong memory of being about 10 years old and doing little league baseball. And I remembered just never hitting the ball. And I remember getting on base once. And that was because I had been hit with the ball um, instead of hitting it. And so I got this automatic walk to first base and I spent the next decade of my life just kind of assuming, okay, well, you're just not athletic. Like this is not a thing that you are cut out to do. And I avoided it as much as humanly possible. I just was, I didn't want to do anything athletic. Um, And I was in my early twenties and I had to play um, a softball game with my corporate job at the time. Uh, I was forced to get up uh, at bat and I hit the ball and I was so excited and I ran off the field and I called my mom to tell her about this. And she was like, well, that's great, but it's not that you, you know, kept swinging the bat when you were playing little league and just always missed it. It was that you, you just stood up there. You never swung the bat. You never tried. And it set me off on this kind of journey of like, oh my God, I've I've told myself this lie about who I am and what I'm capable of for a decade. Um, and now I've got to find out what I can actually do. So I started by um, starting to run and decided, I mean, I'm kind of an all-in person. So it wasn't like, I was like, oh, you know, I'm just going to start like running a mile today. I was like, I'm going to do a marathon. I'm going to do the New York City Marathon. <laughs> so I signed up for the New York City Marathon and started training for that. Um, I ended up doing five more marathons. I started doing triathlons, even though I couldn't swim a lap. Um, I really kind of went into this place of like, just because you don't think you can do something doesn't mean that you can't do it. So I would look at these, these activities that I, you know, ostensibly was not good at and just try them. Um, I did roller derby, even though I like full contact sport was absolutely not the kind of thing that I was cut out for. Um, when I finished an Ironman, I thought, okay, well now what's next? Now I'm going to look into, you know, the world of strength. And I started doing CrossFit again, not having, you know, not being able to lift an empty barbell, um, and went and started pursuing that through CrossFit. I found the sport of strongman and I'd been training in strongman for, uh, two years. I was getting ready for a competition. Um, and I had been, you know, I'd been competing at that point for, 
a year and change um, in a way that I feel like was healthy from a physical perspective, but not so much from a mental and emotional place. Um, I was always really frustrated when I didn't place in a competition. I stopped wanting to compete because I was going up against the same women, you know, competition after competition who I knew were going to beat me. And I didn't, I couldn't think past that. I couldn't go, well, okay, but go and you know, what are you capable of? What can you do? I would always look at, well, I'm not going to come out of there with, you know, a podium spot. So why am I doing it? Um, so I hit this point, I was two years into strength training, getting ready for a competition. I'm in, in the gym, I'm training and I was lifting an Atlas stone, which if anybody's seen old world's strongest man, you know, you might remember it as like those big giant boulders that they lift. And I remember feeling really, really exhausted. Um, and a different from just kind of, you know, a workout exhaustion, just, something else is going on. And I went home that day and I took a pregnancy test and I found out that I was pregnant. And then three weeks later, I found out that I was miscarrying. And I very quickly went from feeling the strongest I ever had in my life to feeling just the weakest and really kind of confused about my body again. Um, You know, I'd had all this confidence in what I could do after these years of just trying to chase all these different physical goals. And I told every time I told my body, okay, yeah, yeah, I know you can't run a mile, but you're going to do a marathon. It would do it. Or, and you can't swim a lap in the pool, but you're going to do an Ironman. It would do it. You're going to lift this weight. It would do it. And then, you know, I told my body, hey, we're going to support a pregnancy now, and it wouldn't do it. And it was this very confusing feeling. Um, but as I was sort of going through that recovery, one of the things I did was I kept going back to the gym. And I would find that when I would do that, um, I would leave with, you know, I would walk out of the gym standing a little bit taller. My shoulders pulled back. My head held a little bit higher. Um, I was walking like I had that kind of confidence in my body again. And that was what kind of started me on this journey of thinking, well, maybe I've had this all wrong this whole time, right? Maybe strength in any physical sense isn't just about what you can lift, but it is about how you take all of those things that you learn in the gym about your body and what you're capable of, and you apply them to the struggles you go through outside of the gym. So that was the impetus for this book. Firstly, I, I'm I'm so sorry um, for what you went through at that time. Um, I can only imagine what that loss is like, not having had any children of, of my own, but um, it, it, it's a lot and um not to kind of dwell too much on the sort of the the processing of that for you but it sounds like what you found in the gym what some people might perceive as oh always pushing your body what you actually found was a reconnection and a working with your body which at the time did it I must have imagined that it kind of felt like you were sort of in conflict rather than being with and working towards something with your body. Yeah, absolutely. Um, One of the things that I discovered through the research for this book and through doing interviews, um, I spoke to a couple of people who work with people who've gone through something traumatic um, and help them use weightlifting to heal from that. Um, So, you know, at the time I just kind of thought, okay, well, lifting is helping and I don't know why. And then, you know, a couple of years later, I'm writing this book and I'm speaking to these people. And uh, what I started to come to understand was that when I would go into the gym and let's say I was doing something like a heavy deadlift, right? So in order to do that safely, I have to brace my core muscles um, to make sure that my back is going to be safe when I do that lift. 
So let's say I'm wearing a weight belt. When I do that brace, um, I'm breathing in and I'm pressing my stomach out against this belt. I'm feeling that kind of tactile sensation of, okay, this is my, this is my core braced to lift that barbell. I have to, in that moment, believe that this part of my body, right. That has been this site of tremendous trauma and sadness. Um, if I'm going to lift the bar safely, I have to believe that it is also a place of strength. And when I found that out while researching this book, it was this kind of aha moment of that's why it helped. Now I get it. That is why it was so impactful. Mm, So it's a question of belief and not just doing the thing. It's completely rewiring your mindset towards it, really. Yeah. And for, I mean, you've competed in lots of like different modalities. I mean, and you've kind of stuck quite consistently with with the lifting but what does each of those kind of give you and why do you like moving in these different ways yeah I mean I have I've stuck with running this full time it's just kind of my first love as far as physical activity and kind of my most like enduring physical relationship um, with sports I I find that I use running now as kind of an opportunity to clear my head. Um, if I'm writing, it is the absolute best way for me to sort of work through a writing struggle. I have come up with so many different article ideas and worked through, you know, issues with a chapter of the book, um, while I've been out on a run. So I really, I enjoy it for that. Um, I'm not really doing races at the moment, um, or longer distances, but I I love it for that. And also it's something that I So I do have two daughters now and it's something that I can do with them. That's really special. You know, they're not lifting heavy barbells yet, but I can run with them. Um, And so we will do sort of these family fun runs sometimes around the block and we'll make little makeshift medals for them. So that's really special. Um, Yeah. And, and lifting for me, it really is, it's kind of wild. It's like the one workout that I have never gotten up to do it in the morning and thought, I don't want to do this today. I always want to. Um, there's just, you just, I feel so much better afterwards. Even, and the crazy thing is, even if my lifts have gone terribly that day, even if I have missed every number I was supposed to hit, I just feel better. Like you just, you feel your muscles working. You feel your body moving the way it's sort of supposed to move. Um, and I think that's incredibly powerful. And that's amazing, as you say, for someone who didn't grow up feeling athletic at all. And it sounds like you're also kind of passing that on to your girls as well, which sounds very fun. <laughs> um, what would you say to to mothers and parents um, who have children, who maybe uh, have those kind of narratives of not being made to be athletic? How can we start sort of as a society to um, unpick that? Yeah, I think um, there is, it's really important to sort of normalize um, exercise for your kids, right? Just to show them that it is as much a part of your day as anything else. So, you know, obviously during the week when my kids are at school, they're not seeing me work out. But um, on the weekends, I try to bring them into, we have a, a gym in our garage and I try to bring them in with me and let them see what I'm doing. And they'll always find kind of miniature versions of whatever I'm doing and try to do that. So like we have a five pound medicine ball um, and I'll train Atlas stones with my kids and they'll use that five pound med ball and try to do the same thing. 
or like they're particularly proud of themselves because they can pick up our 25 pound kettlebell, which is actually incredible because they are, that is like just 10 pounds less than what they weigh. So (laughs) it's pretty awesome. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's just, it's really powerful for them to see you move in a way that brings you happiness. It's, it's so easy for us to say working out is something I have to do, or, you know, it's, it is right there in the name that it's supposed to, you feel like it's supposed to be work, right. Um, or it's supposed to be a punishment for something. And maybe you feel that way, you know, maybe people feel that way. That's fine. But when you're showing, when you're trying to model something for your kids, I think it's really, really important um, to start early explaining to them that this is something that we do for joy, right? We don't do this because we've done something wrong. This is not a punishment. If you feel that way about it, you're never going to embrace it. You're never going to love it. It's never going to be a part of your life. Um, so I'm particularly cautious with my kids too, that I don't disparage my body in front of them. It's not that I never disparage my body. I just don't do it in front of them. Right. They don't need to hear that. Um, you know, I, I never say, Oh, have to go and do this, whatever it is. It's, I try to treat it like it is something that we get to do. I mean, it is astonishing, really, kind of the narratives that are sort of stereotypically and historically fed to children of sort of mummy goes to the gym and does Pilates in order to be thin. Daddy goes maybe to the gym to kind of bulk some muscle or goes to football in order to get out of the house (laughs) and away from the family. I mean, it's really toxic. (laughs) It really is. And I have this very strong memory before I became a parent. Um, I uh, was with a couple people in my family and we were going, it was around Thanksgiving and we were going to go to a spin class. And, um, one of my cousins said in front of, uh, our niece who was, I don't know how old she was at the time, maybe five, six, um, like, oh yeah, we, we have to, we're going to this class because, you know, we have to work off the Thanksgiving dinner we're about to have. And I just remember cringing even at that time before having kids. And it's funny, she and I talk about, talked about it recently. And she was like, I'm so glad you spoke up about it then. Cause I think about it all the time um, that we don't realize what we're saying. So I was like, Oh, what if we don't push diet culture on her at this point? Like it's going to happen to her at some point in her life from outside sources. But if we can avoid that, what if we, what if we just try to avoid that? And did you find that on that, first kind of getting back in into the gym um after the loss of your first child like was that um also a way of changing your perception kind of towards yourself um being able to cut in your relationship with your body in that way yeah yeah it was you know there I think going back in there and not training for a competition because all I had been doing for those past two years in strongman was training for competitions. That was it. And suddenly I was back in the gym and I was just training to feel better for the first time. Um, so it did, it really allowed me to kind of appreciate those movements just for the sake of doing those movements and for getting stronger with no goal of beating anybody else or even really beating myself. Just how can I move in a way that's going to make my body feel better today? Um, And I think that is why I have stuck with this in particular for so long, because it's, I I know that it all, you know, it almost always makes me feel better. And also just kind of thinking about unpicking those kind of gendered stereotypes that also exist around strengths in particular. I mean, what does it feel like that 
taking you back to that first time that you picked up a massive rock yeah. <laughs> like how did that feel yeah oh god I, I remember that moment so well and what's incredible is I have a picture of it um so it was my first strongman class and it was a, a group workout and the very end we got to pick up the atlas stones and it was this 90 pound stone and I got to pick it up and put it on my shoulder the first time I tried to do it I, I couldn't move it. Um, and I really, I had those kind of feelings of athletic inadequacy sort of flooding back of, Oh my God, I don't want to do this. People are going to laugh at me. And I did it. And I remember getting it to my shoulder and this sudden kind of feeling of elation and like invincibility looking around this gym and going, I can lift anything in here now. And I remember taking that with me, that feeling with me outside of the gym that day too. Right. I remember like walking down the street and looking at things and being like, can I lift that weird thing? I love that thing. That's how I see the world now. Like it's a very strange way to go through life is I'm, you know, I go past people's lawns with landscaping stones and I'm like, that way is in whether or not I can. <laughs> it's really, you know, it's, it's kind of a cool way to go through the world of thinking, looking at things and going, I could take that. Well, that's also just so empowering. I mean, thinking about the narratives again around women kind of, you know, yeah. just walking up the street or, or going for a run by yourself and things like that to actually flip that and kind of look around and think, can I lift that instead is is a massive change to that kind of real, well, victim narrative that we that we get fed a lot, I think, in society. Yeah, yeah and I think the other thing too is, you know, in terms of women specifically, we are told, you know, when it comes to strength training, we typically tend to be told two different things. And usually one of them is, you know, oh, don't lift weights because you're, you're going to get bulky. Right. And then the other option is if you're talking to someone who's into lifting, they might say to you, oh, it's fine. Lift weights. Like you're not going to get bulky. Right. But in either one of those scenarios, we are suggesting that bulkiness is bad. Right. When I was writing this book and I was trying to explore that, one of the first things I did was I looked at the definition of bulky and I, this always makes me laugh. The definition of bulky was um, taking up much space, typically inconveniently. <laughs> and I say that every time I say that, I get that reaction. Every time people are like, they wait, it's like that inconvenient part where they're like, oh wait. Yeah. And I remember reading that and going, this makes so much sense now, right? Because of course it's going to be inconvenient for people for a woman to take up space, right? Because it is then assumed that we are taking up that space from a man or we are, you know, taking up space in a room, whatever it is. Um, it's inconvenient for women to challenge gender norms with the way that their bodies look, right? With their bodies being more muscular and looking more typically like what we would consider, people can't see me doing air quotes, but I'm doing air quotes, male bodies. Um, and when I spoke to a lot of uh, women strength athletes for this book, one of the commonalities was that they started to learn to love this idea of taking up space because it didn't just mean physically with their bodies being bigger and more muscular. It also meant now they had the confidence to take up more space in the workplace, in their home, in social settings, right? It completely changes the way that you see yourself when you are not constantly thinking, how much smaller can I make myself? When you start thinking about, I, like, this is a space I belong in. I am taking up the amount of space that I want to take up here. Nobody can stop me from doing that. It completely changes your relationship with yourself and with the world around you. 
you also start to, I think, learn to love your body for what it can do and not what it looks like. So you start focusing on that a lot more. I want to be clear that I don't think it is a, you know, it's not like the silver bullet solution of like, you're never going to dislike your body again. Um, when I was writing the chapter for the book about body image, um, what I, I really kind of wanted to have this happy ending at the end of it of like, you know, I started trying to put on uh, muscle mass for a competition and it was really counterintuitive to everything I knew about dieting and diet culture for my whole life. I always thought you're supposed to eat less, right? And suddenly I had to eat more purposely. And it was this back and forth thing the whole time of I'm getting stronger. I can see my lifts going up. I am so much more capable of doing things. I can see visible muscles on my body. But, you know, when you're putting on mass, you're putting on mass everywhere. You can't just like spot put it on in certain places. I guess unless you're bodybuilding, in which case you can. Um, so, you know, sometimes my jeans were tighter. And every time I felt that I would have to go, okay, like check in with yourself. What, what matters more? And to be perfectly honest, there were plenty of days where it mattered more that my jeans fit. I cared about that. And I, it doesn't just go away, but the best thing that I found about going on that journey of purposely trying to put on masks was that at least I question it now, at least when, you know, a pair of jeans doesn't fit and I'm upset about that, I can stop and go, okay, well, why are you upset about that? Like, let's unpack that. And, you know, what can you do that you couldn't do before? And what, which one are you willing to sacrifice? And before going on that kind of journey, I, I never would have thought about that. I just would have gone through this spiral of like, okay, where can I cut out more calories? You know, should I go for a run now? Should it be a little bit longer? I would just go right into this sort of shame and blaming myself. And what can I do to fix this place? And I don't, I don't do that now. So that's the biggest takeaway. You know, when we're talking about our kids and messages that you want to pass down to your kids, one of the things I find it's so interesting is, you know, kids are really, really literal up to a certain age, right? So um, they don't know, for example, that society says that fat is a bad thing until you tell them that, right? So, but I have to, I have to fight that urge to be like, no, 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 don't say that. That's not nice because it's not, not nice until I tell her it's not. Um, so, you know, we'll be like, I have this really funny memory of walking down the street with my older daughter and it was the time of day where our shadows were kind of like short and squat instead of your long shadow. And we're, we're walking down the sidewalk in our neighborhood and she's going, mommy, look at my shadow. I'm so fat. You're so fat. Look, at, I'm so fat. And she's yelling this walking down the street and I'm, my gut reaction is to stop her. And then I'm like, wait, no, it's just matter of fact to her. It's just this matter of fact thing. She's not putting a good or a bad thing on that. It's just, this is, this is like what I have known that a larger size is this and a smaller size is this. And I don't think one is better than the other one. It's just, this is what this looks like. Um, but it's, you know, it, it's funny how our brains are sort of wired to feel that way. And it's glorious that she was just kind of luxuriating yeah. in it as well. It's yeah. like you said about being bulky, taking up space, making making people feel uncomfortable and being able to advocate for yourself and using your voice. And that's just such a wonderful example of that kind of taking up space 
and empowerment through voice kind of coming together in that way that was just about joy right and and spending time together and you both being out in that way and I I think that's magic (laughs) yeah I I agree and they're they've started to so my daughters are five and a half and almost four and their new thing is they sit at the breakfast table and they fight about who's stronger while flexing their biceps at each other and then they talk about who's going to drink more milk so that they can get stronger. That's amazing. It's just something, again, It's it's been such a kind of gender stereotype thing. And why can't girls do that as well as yeah. whatever they want to do in the world? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> So just to kind of like turn now to the book more directly, can we talk about kind of the the genesis of the project and where it started? Yeah, so it did really start from that. I think the probably first seeds were planted following the miscarriage and going through those couple of months of fertility struggles um, when I was really questioning what was the meaning of strength and what I was doing. But the idea really kind of crystallized um, the year that I was turning 40. And I knew I was done having kids. Um, My younger daughter had just turned one. Uh, And I remember we were sitting at our breakfast table and I was reading this book about this like old timey strong man. And every time he would do some crazy feat, they would be like, how, how did he do that? And they would ask this through every page. And then at the very end, after he pulls a wagon load of 10 men down Fifth Avenue using just a rope that he has in his teeth, they were like, my older daughter was like, why? And I thought, I know, you know, kids just ask why all the time, but for some reason that particular why just struck me. And I was like, I, no one asks you that when you do a weird strength sport, people just ask you, how, how did you do this? How did you get strong enough to do this? How can I do this? But no one's ever like, why are you doing this? And I didn't have a good answer. And I was like, I want to have a good answer for her. Um, and that combined with the fact that I'd hit this point in life, you know, I turned 40 and I, for the last five years before that, my body's primary functions were to get pregnant, stay pregnant, feed a small child with my body or, you know, quote unquote, bounce back from all of it. Um, and this was the first time I thought my body's kind of just mine now. Um, and I want to know what else I can do with it. How strong can I, how strong can I get at this point in my life? Um, And those two things kind of combined into, I'm going to go on this journey to get as strong as I possibly can, see what I can do, see what that means and find out along the way why that's important to me and why strength is important to people in general. How does it impact our lives outside of the gym? How did it change your relationship with lifting as you went through this journey? It it just helped me, I think, understand that it really was about so much more than the competitions I was entering or the numbers I was hitting. Um, I interviewed over 50 athletes for this book. And while the majority of them are, you know, wildly talented in their sport, um, they didn't come to it from a place of wanting to be better than someone else wanting to compete. They came to strength because of something that happened in their lives um, that made them feel weak or vulnerable. And they turned to strength as a way to combat that. And then they stuck with it because of how it made them feel over time. Um, 
one of, I think, one of my biggest takeaways came from an interview that I did with someone who I remember when he said it, I thought, Oh, that's a great soundbite. Like the writer in me was like, that's going to look so great on the page. Um, but at the time I didn't think it applied to me. So uh, someone named Colin Bryce, he is a former world's strongest man athlete, a former Olympic bobsledder. And now he's the program director for world's strongest man. Um, so this is the quote. The guy who wins world's strongest man is invariably somebody who has a hole in his heart. He thinks he'll be satisfied when he's crowned king of the world, but he isn't. He wakes up the next day and finds out he's just the same guy he was the day before. That's a terrifying thought. And yeah, I remember just thinking like, oh, that's powerful. And then I went and I trained for a national level competition, something that I never thought I would get to go do. And afterwards... I came in last place <laughs> and um, I kind of knew I was going to, but you hold out a little bit of hope. And I was really, really upset about it. And I tried to, I think, you know, again, because I'd gone on this whole journey of understanding this, um, I knew enough to think about why I was disappointed and think about why I was upset. And that was when I went back to that quote. And I thought, right, if you don't appreciate the journey and all the things it takes to get to that point, you're never going to find, you know, satisfaction in what you're doing. Um, and so I started to take stock and like, what were all the things that I accomplished on my way to competing at that national level competition? You know, I, I hit a personal record in a deadlift that I'd been chasing for eight years at that point. Um, and yet not, pulling a deadlift that was 40 pounds heavier than that at the competition for some reason was really upsetting to me. And I was like, why? Like, why don't you think about what you actually did before you came here? Um, and it sort of just reminded me to go back and think about that. And so again, much like with the body image stuff, it's not that, you know, I walk out of a gym session where I've failed something and go, or any situation in my life where I've failed something and go, that's totally fine. It's just that it makes me, it, it makes me think about it. It allows me to not just go, well, I failed at this, so I'm a failure in general. It allows me to go, okay, well, yeah, you failed at that. I mean, or you, know, you have to think about what does failure mean in that situation, but that didn't go the way I wanted it to. What can I do next time? Why didn't it go the way I wanted it to? And how can I fix that or change that or train for that for the next time that that comes up in my life? And was it important from the offset that you had this balance between both science and the very raw human stories too? And, and what was the kind of importance of having both? Yeah, I what I really wanted to do is I wanted to take these kind of anecdotal stories from myself and athletes of how strength has had an impact on their life. And then I wanted to find facts to back it up. So, you know, if somebody told me, oh, well, you know, I, I had a greater sense of community from doing this sport. Okay. Well, are there studies out there that show us that, you know, lifting with other people or just working out with other people, um, enhances our strength or, you know, somebody telling me, Hey, lifting weights really helped me manage my anxiety. Can we prove that? Um, so I tried to kind of do that dichotomy. I think a, a big struggle for me too, was, not getting too much in the weeds of all of these other elements of the way that strength, you know, changes our bodies and, and our, and our brains, um, unless it was related to my personal story of it. So now post 
publishing the book. I am writing for you know a bunch of different publications. I'll talk about the way that strength is important as we're aging and the way that strength is something that you need as you go through perimenopause and menopause for women. Um, it's not something that was in the book because at the time it wasn't something I was thinking about for my own life. And I wanted to really be true to that story. Um, but yeah, there were some really incredible things that I learned about the science and psychology of, of strength. Um, when we talk about the anxiety one, one of the ones that I, uh, studies that I found really compelling, um, was they took, um, two groups of people and had some of them do a resistance training program and some of them just kind of continue on with whatever they were doing. Um, and over the course of these eight weeks, they gave the, they gave both sets of people, um, questionnaires on their just general levels of anxiety. And what they found was that the people who were doing the structured resistance exercise training program, um, over the course of those eight weeks, their levels of anxiety decreased by about 20% more than the other group. Wow. That's Uh, astonishing. Just, yeah, just through, through doing that. And what's really interesting was that they were doing, you know, heavy lifting for them. So it was, you know, their, their lifts were based on the the amount they were lifting was based on, you know, their ability level, obviously Um, it was all done with a coach. And I think one of my favorite takeaways from that study was that they weren't all perfectly adhering to this program, right? They weren't there every, they weren't necessarily making it to every single session on average. They missed a couple over the course of those eight weeks. Um, But whenever they went, they stuck to the program while they were there. So it was about. Um, consistency, but not perfection. That was really interesting. I mean, it is a very mindful thing. I think if if you do stick to what <laughs> what you're meant to be doing and not just powering through a workout, I, I know for myself, it's kind of taught me a lot of patience, really, that kind of, it's as much about embracing the rest between sets as it is about the work or in inverted commas that you're doing and and for me it's definitely the kind of like the rest was actually the the difficult bit (laughs) in a way um the kind of embrace oh well I'm just I'm just sitting around and waiting for the next thing but that's part of it and again it's sort of like embracing yourself as a whole person as well all parts and not just the bit that is doing all the time it's the bits in between as well and those bits that just need to hang out in order for the rest (laughs) of the stuff to work really (laughs) yeah and I mean listen the rest the rest thing is really interesting too as you know as a runner right like if you're doing speed intervals let's say and you're taking those rests in between you often like you need those rests you physically cannot sprint an ongoing you know for however long you might want to keep moving for Whereas I think sometimes when you're lifting, or at least for me, um, you know, if it's just like doing a couple of reps and then resting, usually after 30 seconds of sitting there, I'm like, no, my body feels fine. I could go again um, until you then get back under that weight. And you're like, oh, no, I'm not recovered. And so you truly have to honor that rest um, in a very mindful way because you're not getting that feedback. You're not getting that physical feedback from your body telling you, no, 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 rest, 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 rest until you go out and you try to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. And that's uh, so valuable, I think, because as as a runner, definitely, sometimes you don't know until the next day and it's too late. Whilst with lifting, it's very much that you get that instant feedback, a bit like what you were talking about with then that kind of reprogramming your relationship with your body and things with the feedback that you're getting against the weight bill. It's all about that kind of conversation that you're having in the moment, which which is mindfulness, really. Yeah. 
And what about in terms of the people that that you met for the interviews? Were there any kind of surprising revelations that emerged from your conversations? A lot. Um, I think my favorite, uh, it's hard to pick a favorite interview, but um, one of the ones that I I talk about a lot because I just was so moved by it, um, this weightlifter, uh, this strong woman athlete, her name is Melissa Edwards. Um, and she talked about having, um, she had a stroke, um, when she was younger and she, uh, in the aftermath of this, she's in the hospital, she's trying to recover. She goes through another stroke and now it's really kind of like rebuilding herself completely. And, uh, Fast forwarding a couple months, she is sitting around her husband and her son are away on a vacation. And she's thinking, I, I don't have any hobbies. Like I want to have something to do. And you would think somebody who's gone through such a physical trauma like that would go, oh, I'm going to, you know, pick up something gentle. She remembers having seen World's Strongest Man on ESPN and goes, I'm going to do that. She told me stories about her husband having to drive her to the gym while she is sometimes literally convulsing in the passenger seat on her way to the gym. That the beginning stages of this, her partner was um, attaching, like tethering a weight to her hand because she couldn't grip it so that she could start to lift weights. To this day, when she deadlifts, she sometimes has to rip off her belt because she can't brace her core muscles correctly, or she has to take off her shoes because she can't feel the sensation of the floor under her feet, which is crucial when you're deadlifting. She went on to have a world record deadlift. Um, She just went back into competing after a couple of years off and is doing really incredible things. And one of the things she said to me was, she said, people ask me all the time, like, why would you do this extreme level of activity at this point, given everything that you went through? And she said, because when you're that close to being dead, it takes a hell of a lot more to feel alive. And that has stuck with me so intensely. My goodness, that's, I mean, that's made me feel quite emotional, actually, just hearing yeah. you tell tell that story then. Um, I think it's something that so many people get asked that kind of, well, why are you doing that extreme thing? And it is about, it's not about destroying yourself. It's about feeling that, that aliveness that I think a lot of people, no matter what has happened, there's been points in life where everything feels very dull or dead inside and in the world and actually you some you need to find that spark and and sometimes that spark can be doing something that you felt that you could never do again or never in your wildest dreams achieve but actually the body and the mind are incredible and I think it's amazing to look out in the world and see like what brains and bodies and souls can do really when they put themselves to it (laughs) exactly And did you find that there was anyone that you particularly kind of aligned with in terms of your own experiences and then also anywhere that you diverged as well? Yeah, I, um, I think everyone had kind of a different mindset. Um, there were, I would say I learned something from everyone that I interviewed more more so than necessarily aligning or not aligning with somebody. Um, but there are things that I think about on a regular basis from, almost everyone that I interviewed. Um, One of the ones that routinely is really impactful for me is this other athlete. Her name is Nadia Stowers. Um, She's a real world-class athlete. Uh, And she talked about their events as there are in any sport where she's not as confident. She's not 
you know, she doesn't feel like necessarily that's in her wheelhouse or that's the best of her ability um, that she can bring to that. But what she does in those situations is that instead of kind of being scared, like to bring it full circle, I always was um, with sports for all those years where I thought, okay, well, like, I'm just going to stay away from this because I can't do it. And I'm going to embarrass myself. Um, Her feeling is always like, I am just going to go as hard as possible on this thing that I know I'm not good at because maybe I fall on my face and I embarrass myself, but maybe it works out. Like maybe that's the time where it goes well. Uh, and I try to think about that regularly in in all parts of life too, right? Not just in the gym. That sounds like it's something that's been quite consistent to your life though, that kind of beginner mindset thing of like, let's be curious about this. Let's just see, let's just see what happens. And do you think yeah. that people can learn from that in many aspects of life being okay and even excited about being a complete beginner and possibly being completely useless. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Listen, you learn more from your failures than your successes, right? Like if you just succeed at everything you do, what are you learning? What that you're like that you're just amazing and you're awesome and you're the best at stuff, right? If you don't if you don't fail things and you don't have the opportunity to um step away and regroup and rethink about how you can approach something you don't learn those problem solving skills you don't learn strength and adversity you don't learn resilience those are really powerful things when you think about the sport of strongman it's it's something that you know most people will be like oh god i could never do that and i totally disagree i was actually having a conversation with the current world strongest man recently about this and how strongman in particular is very, very beginner friendly because you wouldn't hand someone a barbell and be like, go do an Olympic lift. That is like, there's just, there's no way they would know how to move their bodies in that way. It would be completely unsafe. They probably wouldn't, you know, they'd probably throw out their back. They wouldn't brace themselves correctly. Um, but if you told somebody here, go pick up this rock, right? Our bodies are supposed to move in the way where we can lift things from the ground, where we can pick up, you know, our kids, whatever that is. And so there's, you know, unless you're telling somebody to go lift a 300 pound rock, for the most part, they're going to move something. And if it moves, it's going to be within the realm of possibility for them. Right. And so I, you know, I try to push back on that narrative of, oh, strongman's not, not for me. Um, and I think there's something incredibly powerful about being a beginner at something and seeing what you're capable of, right? Like this is a sport that asks you to test your limits in really, really intense ways. And you're not going to start out like that necessarily, but what does it feel like to go? I don't think I can do this. And then to try to do it anyway, and then find out that you can, that's pretty cool. And I guess it's also kind of, we do ourselves so much of a disservice in life by thinking that you know that we we can't do things and it's like with being you, no one's been a mother before they're a mother <laughs> and you don't get a kind of test no. run really at, at doing that and yet you, you can just you do it and like you said about kind of picking up I mean kids are heavy and <laughs> and people kind of think oh I can't do the things with like one leg or kind of one side things well if a kid is hanging off your arm on one side and you're kind of carrying them along that is that is strength training isn't yes. it and carrying yeah, your groceries is strength training 
and yet you know women in particular are do have a kind of fear of, of of stepping into into a gym and so what would you kind of say to people who who haven't ever picked up a dumbbell before um and obviously what you have done and are doing and what the people that you've interviewed are is so inspiring but that might also feel as you say like quite intimidating for a lot of people so what would you say to someone who's just like at the start of that journey of just taking the step over the door of kind of why and and how do you do you start <laughs> yeah i think you know first of all wanting to start is the wanting to start and taking that action is obviously you know the biggest step that you're going to take because i think once you start doing it you get that feedback um that makes you want to keep doing it there's a couple of things i always tell people so the best 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 way that you can start strength training is one on one with a coach um, that is somebody who's going to watch the way your body in particular moves and, you know, know the way that your musculature wants to move in the way that your body is capable of moving, what your mobility is, they're going to help you and make sure that you are lifting things in a really safe manner. Um, but that's also not feasible for everybody. Right. So beyond that, um, like small group classes are a really good way to do that. And then fighting that urge to be at the back of the room because you're embarrassed about being a newbie and going to the front where the instructor can actually help you. Like a good instructor isn't going to make you feel embarrassed for not being able to do something. Um, and if you are in a class with an instructor like that, you should leave that class because that person is bad at their job. Um, and then I also tell people like, you know, just starting at home with body weight stuff, um, take videos of yourself even if it feels super embarrassing to you, like you don't have to post them on social media, right? But you don't always know that your body's not moving in the way it's supposed to move. Like I video every single one of my lifts and I put very, very few of them on the internet. It's mostly so that in between sets, I can go back and go, okay, oh, that felt good. But like, look, the way my foot was is not the way my foot's supposed to be. And maybe I could do that better if I moved it this way. It's really important to be able to get that kind of feedback. And you don't have to, you can choose to never go do like a CrossFit class. You can choose to never go do strongman. Um, but strength, just becoming strong in whatever way makes sense for you is so, so, so important, especially as we get older, right? Like we know, um, not to get back in my soapbox about this that I always do, but you know, we know that as we get older for both men and women, um, we are going to lose muscle. We're going to lose muscle mass and strength as we get older, but we don't have to. If you just sit there and you don't do anything, you are absolutely going to lose that. Um, but when you start to lose that, that's when you increase the risk of things like falling, right? Um, because your balance is starting to go because you don't have that muscle strength. Um, if you are a woman and you're falling because you've lost muscle strength and you are in that menopause time in your life, um, your bone density has also gone down. So now when you fall, you're running the risk of fractures and fractures remove your independence. So it's, you know, it, to me, as you get older, choosing to strength train isn't a choice. It's a necessity. It's just, you can do it in so many different ways. Resistance bands count as strength training. They count as resistance training, right? That's, that's good too. Um, but you, you know, you have to start in some capacity. And also kind of in terms of what you would say, because a lot of people are very busy with with work and with parenting and things in terms of making strength and, and movement kind of something that is accessible and attainable to, to women in particular, um, what message would you have for them? Yeah, um, that is where I go back to this kind of working out with your kids thing. 
right? Because we don't all have the time if we're parenting, um, if we're with our kids for so much of the day, and then we're also working jobs during the hours when they're at school. Like where where do you find the time to do it then, right? Um, for me, listen, I have the flexibility of working from home and being a freelancer. So I can fit in a workout when I want to, but that is absolutely not the case for everybody. So what are opportunities if, you know, to move with your kids? Um, What are opportunities to find ways to exercise with them? And whether or not that is just like getting them involved with you, doing some squats together, or whether that is you know, doing a short video workout when they are doing something else, when they're engaged on their own, whatever that is, um, trying to find kind of those little opportunities, I guess, for those, uh, workout kind of snacks during the day, right. When can you just get in those little bits of it? Workout snack with a snack. (laughs) (laughs) And what's, what's kind of happening where are you at now with, um, with your strengths and, and, and with your writing and things, what projects have you got coming up? Um, I'm doing mostly freelance stuff right now. So I'm still kind of writing a lot of articles in the, um, world of, of health and fitness. Um, not necessarily just about strength, um, but just health and fitness in general. Um, I'm doing a a column about that for the globe and mail, which is if people don't know it, kind of Canada's, um, Canada's New York times, basically. Um, so I do a column for them and then I try to spread the word of strength wherever else I can with my writing too. I've been just training for me for the last few months and I just signed up for a competition that's going to be in February. Um, just, uh, so I live in Toronto. It's just over the border, um, near Niagara Falls and it's a lot of, uh, a lot of stones. So some, uh, bring an Atlas stone to your shoulder, some putting an Atlas stone over a bar. Um, and then a couple of other fun lifts, including one that is at the moment out of reach for me. And it is a continued struggle for me to sign up for competitions where, it's a lift. I know there's a really good chance I'm not going to make, but I've got the next little bit to train as hard as I can for it. I'm just still overwhelmed by the idea of just picking and lifting up stones and things. It's just, (laughs) it's just so primal and wonderful. And again, just that thing that really does set those kind of gendered stereotypes around, you know, men shifting heavy things and actually to just own that and go and pick them up. I just love it. Yeah. And just before I ask my final question, um, where can people find you and your book? And is there anything else that you would like to add about the book too? Um, you can find me uh, on, my, on my website, which is AlyssaAgis.com. And then uh, all of my social media handles are just AlyssaAgis. So I've got that nice and consist- consistent throughout everything. Um, you can buy the book wherever books are sold. Um, for people in the UK, I know that Amazon UK has it. Um, so that's a good spot for anybody over there. Um, otherwise, you know, your local bookseller, if they don't have it in stock can just order it for you. Um, if you want to support local, which is great. And my final question, which I ask all my guests is what does joy mean to you? I, so interesting. I mentioned that I had been recently talking to the current world's strongest man about this and we were having, he, he said something that really struck me. He said, you know, happiness is this kind of fleeting thing. Happiness you can find in anything, but it's brief, right? But joy is more of kind of like a state of being and, you know, your sort of overall feeling, your overall wellness. Um, So to me, it's finding something, um, I think, that brings you happiness and then 
figuring out a way to incorporate that into your life in a consistent way such that you can bring more joy into your life through it. I'm so grateful to the community that is growing around the podcast. And if you've enjoyed today's episode, I would so appreciate if you can share it with your communities and help spread the message of support, perseverance and joy further. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, you can find me on Instagram at running underscore on underscore joy. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time for Running on Joy.